Get used to the mantra, all gas, no brake. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Turn the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson, uh, at WillPaw11. I'm joined today by Bob Glauber of Newsday, at Bob Glauber on Twitter. Bob, how are you doing this afternoon? Well, I'm doing great. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. It's exciting times, free agency approaching the draft and things like that. Uh, you know, that's the Jets Super Bowl <laughs> for most fans. So uh, we look, we're all looking forward to some exciting times. Yeah, it's a good time of year. Uh, especially if you're a Jet fan coming off a two and fourteen season, um, that's, that's what you got to live for, right? Like, it is what it is. We've been we've been here a few times before. Yeah, unfortunately, but it seems like things are kind of going different, and you know, and uh, with the new hire, obviously, of Robert Sala. What, what were your thoughts on the hire initially? Were you impressed or kind of concerned from a defensive guy coming in? Obviously, with the offense being lackluster the last few years. No, impressed. Uh, look, he's a good coach. You want a good coach. You want a good leader of men. You want a guy who's not going to get bowled over by the situation. Um, you know, New York's a big deal. Uh, I think this is the right guy. Um, Christopher Johnson said he was looking for a CEO type, and I think he's got that in Robert Sala. So I'm I'm bullish on him, and I think the Jets are going to be in good hands. I don't know that they're going to win right away. Um, There's still several players away, but I think they got the right coach. And, man, when you got the right coach – you got half the equation figured out, if not more. Yeah, no, I agree. I felt like he was somebody that everyone around the league speaks so highly of. And when you have guys that are on other teams pushing for other guys, like when Richard Sherman came out and pushed for Deshaun Watson to go to New York, like that doesn't happen often unless you really, really respect somebody or Richard Sherman wants to be a Jet. And either way, well, uh, <laughs> you don't see that often, though. Right. And Richard Sherman is pushing, uh, you know, he was really – behind Robert Sala and that's that's a big deal now Sherman is say what you will some people don't you know he, he rubs some people the wrong way by be, being so outspoken you know no that's what you, that's what you want you want a guy to kind of tell it like it is but Sherman is one of the biggest advocates for Robert Sala and he had a bunch of them on that 49ers team um that they, they grew to really like him respect him that's that's you know bigger than liking um, and I think Sala is the kind of guy that will take the reins and, and grow as a coach. Um, you know, this idea of CEO, I, I get it because you, know, you asked before about, well, you're worried that Sala's defensive minded. Well, they just tried it with an offensive minded guy. How'd that go? <laughs> not, right? not the best three years of my two years of my life. I'll tell you yeah. that much. So, so that was a, it was a disaster right there. It shows that you know, you've got to hire the right guy. And that, and that is a leader. Um, that's, that's so important. Um, Adam Gase spent no time with the defense, just, just none. And you just can't have that on a football team. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm, I'm excited for it. And I guess that kind of leads us into the biggest talking point of the offseason is I'm a huge Sam Darnold advocate as everyone else that's listening to the podcast knows, but I also am realistic with there's a lot of different options that could happen this offseason, whether it's drafting a quarterback or two, trading for a quarterback like Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson, which I, I don't think is remotely realistic, but um, especially Russell Wilson. And then, or, you, you know, trade back and build around Sam. What do you, well, A, what, what do you think? If you're, What does your gut tell you on March 1st? And then 
if you were the GM, you're Joe Douglas, what would you do? It's a two-part question. All right. Well, I think that they value Sam Darnold as a quarterback, but I think they see limited upside. Um, you know, it's hard to judge Sam Darnold in a complete way because it's been so difficult for him. Three different offensive systems and coaches. Um, he, you know, he three different offensive coordinators, two different systems, but still, you know, you're looking at a guy who had a bad offensive line for much of his career, uh, inadequate play. He was hurt with his shoulder last year. He had mono the year before he showed promise as a rookie. He really did take those steps. And I thought he was going to kind of take that second year jump. It didn't happen. So, you know, there is talent there. There's no question, but you know, I think, I think they will look at all their options that includes looking at what it would take for Deshaun Watson trade. Russell Wilson, I don't, I don't think that's happening. I, I just, I think Russell Wilson is, he's in that midlife crisis that a lot of quarterbacks go through that have been with the team for a long time. You know, I saw that with Phil Sims back in the eighties, for God's sake. So this is not <laughs> unusual. And I think they will work that out. Um, so it's going to be Deshaun Watson or, a drafted quarterback or Sam Darnold, I would say at this point, I'd lean toward a drafted quarterback building um, brick by brick uh, and in a methodical way that Joe Douglas has done so far. So now if you, if you throw everything in a trade at for Deshaun Watson, you know, the dynamic is totally different because you're going to be losing pieces. If you lose a Quinn and Williams, if you lose multiple first round picks, um, you know, if you lose other players that, that Houston might want, you, you run a, the risk of Deshaun Watson coming here and spinning his wheels because there isn't enough talent around him. Uh, the question is, does Deshaun Watson want to come here? Does he want to go to Miami? I'm, I, I, would, I would lean toward him going to Miami. It's, you know, there's, there's no income tax, state income tax. <laughs> I mean, that's, you make a lot of money. That's, that's important. It really is a factor. But more than that is that, you know, Miami is more of a win now type of team than the Jets, certainly. And I think they have the draft capital, thanks to Houston in part, um, to make that happen. So if you're asking me right here, right now, what happens with the Jets, I would say they trade Sam Darnold and draft a quarterback with that second overall pick. That makes sense to me. It's pretty funny that the two quarterbacks that are the veteran pro bowlers that are, you know, all pros that are on the market are the Jets who, you know, are linked to Russell Wilson, but they would be trading the picks they just got, you know, in the Jamal Adams trade. And then the Dolphins who are a heavy favorite for Deshaun Watson just would be trading back their own picks from the Tunsil trade. It's like, I know these teams, I guess it's pretty crazy. Yes, it is. It is crazy. It's weird. Um, And it's, uh, uh, it's like, you know, big round world out there, you know, things, things come around and, and they go around. Um, I just, yeah, yeah that, I don't know about, I don't, I don't, I agree with you, the Russell Wilson thing. I, I think that's, yes, could he be moved? Sure. But like, it doesn't make any sense from a cap hit perspective. I know it's like $39 million the Seahawks would eat. Yeah. And like with a 70 year old coach for them to rebuild doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, personally, I just don't see that. And then Deshaun, I think is realistic. It could get had done, but I don't, again, it's like, are the Jets going to be, willing to give up what it takes and does he want to be here there's so many factors to it yeah uh, there's a lot of factors to it and don't don't discount that you know you're going to have to give up so much for Deshaun Watson what are you left with you're you've got a 25 year old franchise quarterback 
But, you know, Houston had that and some star defensive players, and they went 4-12. and 12. Now, the bottom fell out of that season, so I don't know if that would happen here. But still, you know, that's, that's a big risk that you take, especially in a division with a, a strong Buffalo team that is not going anywhere for quite a long time. They're being built very methodically and very well, and they're, they're, they're going to be a contending team for, for years to come. In terms of like the the guys in the draft, obviously, you know, Zach Wilson seems to be a kind of a favor right now, but a lot of people, I know people turn on the Jets, speak so highly of Justin Fields. Um, there's obviously the Trey Lance wild card. I don't think Mac Jones at two is, I would be very upset if that's what, you know, happens, which I don't think will. But of those two, I guess, three guys, if you want to throw a Trey Lance in there, do you have one that you would prefer or it's kind of like, I just think that the rookie contracts, you know, upside, all that stuff. Yeah, no, it's a fair question. And it's like, you know, it's almost eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Um, but I, I would probably lean toward Zach Wilson. Um, you know, Justin Fields, I think, certainly has the experience. He's got the big time, you know, play with a big time team. He's been in big spots. But then you look at, well, the history of Ohio State quarterbacks is, is not a very good one. Um, I don't think he goes into that pile. Um, you know, with some of the more disappointing quarterbacks. I think Fields is a good player. Um, maybe the upside is a little bit limited, but man, he makes some throws that that are really off the charts and he's off the charts tough. So those are two things that you want in an NFL quarterback. And if it is Justin Fields, I don't know that, you know, you'd, you'd be disappointed um, if that were to be the choice. Now, they still may, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm thinking about this. Do you keep Sam Darnold for the for that last year of his rookie contract? You get greedy a little bit. See if you can coach him up. See if uh, Lafleur can can kind of coax something out of him. Get better. You want to make a trade next year? Okay. Or maybe he becomes the guy. You know, it wasn't that long ago where he, where it was not that unusual to draft two quarterbacks high up in a close you know years proximity. And then you just go with a better guy as time goes on. So, I, you know, I, I think that's I, – I just don't dismiss that as a possibility. Then yeah, you, I'm, you, I've been – I'm, a big, I'm a big believer of that. So, I, 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 keep, I love hearing it. Keep, keep your guy Darnold, right, and, you, and, and you'll be happy. Well, I just would I, – I like the idea of the roster so barren of talent, minus the few guys you mentioned. I know, you know, there's the promise of a Denzel Mims and Beckton showed a lot of flashes this year and things like that. But if you were able to trade back from two and, and – I know this is probably I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but if Sam isn't good next year and you still have all this talent, you still now have pieces to be able to move up for a guy if you want to trade up in the draft or, you know, then you'd know. But I also think that's maybe you're wasting a year of some of these guys' talent if it doesn't go well. So I guess it's I see both sides of it, I guess you should say. Yeah, I think if you are convinced and have conviction on a guy this year, you do it and you don't waste time. You just take it at number two. I like, you know, look, the idea of moving down, okay, I get it, get more more pieces. But, man, if you've got a quarterback there at two, who knows when you're going to get there? You hope you never get there again. But it's it's potentially a once-in-a-generation type thing. Unfortunately for the Jets, it's a little bit more than once-in-a-generation. But once every three years. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you just don't want to be in that position, you know, time after time. And if you feel good about one of these guys – at two, you just take them. You know, I agree. I think that's the bottom line is I can't be upset with whatever they do because 
Joe Douglas is giving me no reason to not trust him at this point. Has it been perfect with some of the stuff of, you know, Robbie and guys like that, or maybe, but I also think he knew it was with the roster, what he was going to have. And he's put himself in out position. They have what six, 70 million in cap space. Plus, you know, with Anderson and a few of the other guys they could cut. And then the amount of draft capital, I don't think anyone, I mean, you could tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't know if anyone thought for a, a box safety with no leverage, they were going to get two ones and a three and free up cap space potentially. I just, those are the things like, it's hard not to trust the guy. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think Joe Douglas is a trustworthy guy. Um, he can kind of take it. Uh, he's, he's tough. He's, you know, he's an old offensive lineman. And those guys just put their heads down and work hard. That trade for Jamal Adams, you know, the Jamal Adams trade was masterful to get two first round picks. And, um, you know, if Russell Wilson does get moved, I don't, I don't see Jamal woofing about, you know, Geno Smith or whoever. People are going to not let him lift that down, man. That will no, be two I years know. in a row. Yeah. <laughs> Twitter would be a like, zoo. You know, Joe was under a lot of pressure to pay Jamal Adams. Keep him. Why don't you keep your best players? You told us, hey, Jet for life. Right. Well, things change. Markets change. And when you got two first round picks and a third and you got Dexter McDougal, he didn't work out. But, man, that guy was a quality starting player. That's a haul. And that's good work by a general manager. It's all you can expect. Kind of uh, segueing into more of the free agency and, um, you know, things like that. Do you have some guys you've kind of identified you think they should go after or positions that you'd like to see them addressed in free agency? Because obviously they could address the whole roster. There's You could upgrade literally at every position. Yeah. But is there people that you – I know Douglas has mentioned building through the draft, and I don't expect him to, you know, personally go crazy. Spending, you know, he's not going to spend all $75 million of the cap space this year. But are there some guys you think this is a guy I think would be well-received if he was, you know, signed as a New York Jet? Well, I think, you know, you can look at receiver, the receiving market, Allen Robinson, a um, um, couple of other guys that are going to pop free too. You know, receiver, it's not just the free agent guys. You've got to look longer term down the road. Receivers are going to get released. A lot of players are going to get released. You know, uh, guy once played for the Giants might get released. So I, I don't subscribe to that. I don't, I think you go – you're going to go for Odell Beckham. You, you better be a championship caliber team ready to ready to win. Strong locker room. Strong locker room. He's not going to be happy with going to a two and fourteen team. So, but I but I think there are you know some some players. I think that receiving market attracts me. But you know Juju Smith Schuster, are you going to spend that kind of money immediately, and you know draw down your cap like that? We've seen that happen. Mike McCagnan did that in that one year where it was a bit of a, a bit of a sugar high and then it collapsed. So they're still paying for that. They're still paying for, for those mistakes. Um, so I, that's why I like Joe Douglas looking primarily through the draft. And then you make a couple of, of key signings, but if you're going to make a key signing now in, on the free agent market, it better be for long-term and it better be for a player in his early to mid twenties. Nothing. Don't don't mess around with you know older guys. Twenty eight, twenty nine. Yeah, no. that's that that, that Le'Veon, that no. Mosley. Well, that you know the Anthony Barr thing was a disaster. I should have known right then. It was like he's like, oh, oh I Barr. felt sick. Barr was okay. I didn't mind Barr. 
That was that was, would have been a good signing in my opinion. That would have been a good sign. He's a good player. He it was him. Like he was just having Ajita, and and correctly so about you know leaving a comfortable situation in Minnesota, um, and he ended up going back. I, I commend him for that. But I don't. You know, I think he he was a good. There was good reasoning for Anthony Barr. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that's that's fair. I I'll never that Buffalo game. We talked. You know, that's the trend on Twitter. Everyone's been seeing. It's like, oh, you had to be there. And like, I was looking at sixteen nothing. You know, Sam's playing pretty well. Obviously, you know, they weren't clicking fully on offense. But Le'Veon looks like young. He looks good. And you know, the Mosley had the best defensive first half I've seen from a guy since prime Revis and like '09. And then it was all over within. 30 minutes yeah i know i know and then there was the uh and i can't i can't remember his name it was a minnesota cornerback who they were trying to go for as many years ago and his son um just won the super bowl for with tampa oh anton winfield yeah winfield's son (laughs) anton winfield had agreed to come to the jets big deal and then he backed out at the last minute so that was like anthony barr was you know winfield 2.0 uh, to a lesser degree, because Winfield was the, the best, probably the best cornerback in the league at that point, or one of the best. It's so funny to look at how, even just in one offseason, though, and to give Douglas credit, like the Jets are viewed in such a different way that they won't, of course, they're going to have to overpay for some guys. And if Alan Robinson does pop up or Tooney or these guys, yes, of course, you're going to overpay for the superstar level guy. But the Jets were, have been known to overpay, you know, better than me, like to overpay for everybody. It's always like, they're looking for five for 40 and the Jets somehow sign a 28 year old guy for six year, $50 million deal for no reason. And I just think Douglas drives a harder bargain and knows you either want to be here. You don't. I think that's probably one of the most commendable things that I can say about him. Totally. Now, Mike T Mike Tannenbaum was a good general manager and they had good success and they, and they hit it right with Rex Ryan. He was aggressive. He wasn't afraid to make bold moves, but he would, he'd be aggressive in, in terms of the cap. He'd always push the cap. He was a great accountant and he knew how to manipulate that. But Douglas is much more um, traditional build through the draft type of general manager where, you know, sometimes as a GM, you got to be a little aggressive and that's okay. It's different. It's not just, you know, your father's NFL teams anymore where you just have all this time with draft picks. You've got to, you've got to make moves and you got to be aggressive. But, but Douglas, I think has a good mix. He knows when to, to go for something, but he also knows, how to just kind of build patiently. Now, one thing that I'm curious to see now that Woody Johnson is back, how that's going to work. Now, Woody is a splash guy. He's been a splash guy, right? Go for Brett Favre. Yeah, it worked for a just while. Just gonna say Brett Favre is the one that sticks out right. the most. I know. I like. I lived that season. Go for you know eight and three to nine and seven, and then the wheels <laughs> fell a, off. What a it disaster! Was, it was really unfortunate, right? But. Um, I don't want him to get in the way. I don't want him to say, Joe, get, get to Sean Watson, give up three first round picks, give, give up uh, Quinn and Williams, give up Sam Donald, do whatever you have to do to get this guy. I want him, man. If you, if, if that dynamic starts happening, there's a problem. And this is why you've got to let Joe Douglas handle this decision and the series of decisions and Robert Sala, but those two professionals have got to do it and don't get interference there from the top. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I, I'm excited just to see what happens. It's, like we said, this is like a, a huge part of the, the Jets fan base. Um, but it will be nice to both have the momentum of a new head coach 
and potentially a pretty new roster, which we don't really see very often. And then on top of that, you know, the hopefully God willing will be fans in the building, you know, in September and it'll just, I think that hurt them a lot this year. I mentioned this with Connie last week that bad teams felt like they were so much worse this year. And I don't know if I think this happened to the giants as well. Those games where you might get down seven, nothing, but the crowd's still into it. And like, there's no crowd. And then all of a sudden it's 14, nothing It's 21, nothing. It's like a dead silent stadium. You get punched in the face. It's just like, it's the jets need the crowd back. I think that's a huge thing for the, for the fan base and the players in general. So you didn't think the piped in crowd noise did it? Will, huh? Nah, the, the same. Once the San Francisco game, they like they had four hundred guys injured, and I'm like, this team looks dead. There's just no. I just didn't feel like the energy. Oh, there's no I, doubt. It just crazy. You could tell, like the Kansas, even though Kansas City or Cleveland maybe had, I don't know, fifteen thousand people, and I, it doesn't look like a lot, but you even hear the Knicks, you know, and Knicks and Rangers game the last week or two, and then that's like you can hear three thousand people. It makes a difference, and I definitely think that'll be a big thing for the Jets, you know, in September. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. I think football in particular is such a game of emotion. And when you are playing in this just silent stadium, it was weird. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen in covering football all these years. Um, it's just, just not normal uh, for these guys. And I think that they do feed on that crowd noise. And I think the teams, you gave a couple of examples of Cleveland and um, uh, the Chiefs and uh, Dallas, they had a lot of fans in their stadium and it makes a difference and it's important. So hopefully we will get to that point where we do get fans back. I, I think we will. I think the NFL is thinking about full, full stadiums. They're optimistic about that. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I think there'll be, it'll be a huge difference league wide because everyone's going to have fans at some point. I guess we'll do like a little bit of a throwback. Do you have some either a favorite team or some favorite players you've covered, um, you know, of the Jets over the years? I mean, obviously a lot of the easy ones stick out, but do you have any like a team that maybe was really fun for you to cover or just a couple of players that were great interviews or fun locker room guys? How much time we got? <laughs> as much time as you want to come <laughs> Well, I mean, I the Jets have been uh, – I've had the honor – and privilege, as, as Chad Pennington would say, of covering both of these Jets and Giants teams. Different dynamics for both teams. Um, the Jets are, you know, it's much more of a, you know, emotional fan base. Giants a little bit more staid and more, you know, traditional. But the Jets, there have been a lot of good teams. So I, I start with that, you know, the Parcells teams. Um, it's probably the most interesting time. They were good. They were newsworthy. You had Keyshawn, uh, you had Corbett, uh, Vinny. Vinny Testaverde was just great to cover. Um, and I remember covering him actually when he was in Cleveland for Belichick. He won his first playoff game. I'll never forget that. Um, I think he beat he beat the he beat the Patriots. He might have. Yeah, I I was like my first like Jets memory was like probably the 98 team because I had a picture of Keyshawn and that's like I was five so I started playing like that was my first year of tackle football was oh wow that 98 yeah so like Keyshawn was my favorite guy and like I played receiver my whole life and probably should have played tight end but Keyshawn right. I thought I was Keyshawn <laughs> Keyshawn's a good dude I would love covering Keyshawn and he was so newsworthy and you're always gonna get he's a yeah I was gonna say he's always gonna give you a quote but it's not even meant in a bad way it's just like he's just always been the same way since he was yes. in USC yeah 
I met him on a, a boat uh, going around the circle line, the circle line boat going to the Statue of Liberty. Back in back in the day, they'd bring the draft choices in, and we'd meet with them um, on the on the Hudson River at these um, at, at this dock, Chelsea Piers, I think. And then we'd like literally go on a boat ride and just just talk to them. First first time, incredibly engaging personality, and he and he showed it on the field. Um, you know that that so that '98 team was was excellent. You know Curtis everything you want in a football player, tough hall of fame caliber talent. And he was such a leader and Parcells kind of, you know, leading the way out of just the nightmare of, of the Kota years. And that's what, you know, jet fans should, should hang on to because you know, you're coming from the Gase years, similar to the Kota years, two years, horrible football. And then you get the answer. Now Salah is obviously a less proven commodity than Bella than uh, Parcells, but you know, that's, that's the hope. And that kind of energy was incredible. I mean, Bill did as good a coaching job in 98 as, as anybody I've ever seen. And you know what? He's probably most proud of his coaching job in 99. I was just going to say, what a, that team was probably felt a lot, at least in my memory, and I may be revisionist history, but felt a lot like 2010 and 2011 where – the team was really good. And then the Jets followed it up with like so much expectation. And they were actually like preseason. You're talking about like, are the Jets going to be a Super Bowl team? And then obviously Vinny getting hurt, you know, again, tearing the Achilles against New England. But I don't know. Ray Lucas won. What do you want? Eight games with Ray Lucas. And, yeah. a punt. and didn't Tom Tupa play like through two Tom touchdowns Tupa or something like that? Yeah. Quarterback, you know, the bunter. No. And, and, you know, I, I've, I've known Parcells a long time and, and he, go, he goes back to that year he still talks about, I should have gone to Lucas earlier. I just, I just couldn't pull the trigger on that one. Right? It's like twenty-five years, thirty years later, and he's and he's <laughs> one multiple, over super, that. One multiple right? Super Bowls has been with multiple teams, and it looks back on the, such a fine moment. I know, I know, but that he was most proud of getting to eight and eight with that team, based on the circumstances that were created really by the Vinny injury, right, right, right off the bat. It's it's crazy to look back at it. I like I've gone back and forth to people a lot the last couple of weeks of like this decade has been really tough as a Jets fan. Obviously, you know, 2015 sticks out because it was the one year they were obviously very competitive. And um, but you look back at how good they were. Oh, obviously talked about the you know kind of floundered at the end with not far of tearing the bicep and just doing a million interceptions and like just kind of lost it. But 2009, obviously, they were like the AFC title game 2010. I think that's probably the most talented Jets team I've ever seen, just like the amount of Hall of Famers. I know they were at the end of their career, but you've got Revis, LT, Jason Taylor, all in one defense for David Harris, who I think is one of the most underrated Jets of all time, just from his, who's a rock. And then like, it's just, it's crazy to look back at some of these teams to Herm year. I thought Herm Edwards was a great head coach and I thought he had a bunch of, I know it didn't end great, but the beginning was 2000, 2001, I think. They lost the Raiders a couple of times, but they beat Peyton in a home playoff game, 41, nothing. And I think that that should stick out the fence. Yeah. Um, he, I, I, the Rex years are certainly way, way up there in terms of, you know, how, how good they were and how memorable they were. So there's no question that that was a great time to cover it. You know, we went from Mangini who was just a robot and, you know, <laughs> difficult interview. Right. D difficult interview. And then all of a sudden you go to Rex and you're like, oh, my God, you know, Rex, just just live. 
just keep living because I feel like it's one from you having to think of like what good question can I ask to get even a small answer and to you being like how's your day and Rex is like we're gonna win a Super Bowl and you're like okay thanks for making my job easy (laughs) (laughs) that was that was an interesting way to come in one of the best interviews I had was with Rex in the back hallway off the media room in I don't know one of those you know AFC championship game years and we talked about Belichick. He goes, hey, telling you, you know, I, I'm, I didn't come here to kiss his rings. I came here to kick his ass. And I'm like, oh, go, go. Oh, this is, I can't wait for this. Publish this. <laughs> it was in. No, it's been in the paper. Um, he, I got, he's funny. I got ass in the, in the news day. That was, that was a big accomplishment. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we were very, very conservative there, but he he was like that he was just so alive then when it went south i think the wheels fell off a little quicker because with when you have that kind of coach with that kind of charisma and it goes bad um you know expectations go up and the criticism gets a little bit more intense and on there you know he goes to buffalo and um <laughs> he beat the jets right at, in a in a night game and we're we're sitting there in the press conference and I asked him the question and he goes, Oh, oh, you. <laughs> so those are for reporters, those are incredible memories. I mean, he he brought it alive. And and he brought it alive for, for fans, more importantly. Um, he made being a Jet fan very exciting. very fun, very exciting. Yep, no question. Yeah, no, I I, I just like I like I always try to look back and I'm not I'm definitely a I can be a glass half empty guy because it's hard not to be as any Jets fan or any, honestly, any New York fan of sports team over the last probably 20 years since, I don't know. I mean, yeah, there was a little blip in the end of the decade where the Giants went to Super Bowl, the Jets went to two title games, the Giants were good again, and the Yankees were good and stuff. But generally the last probably five to six years have been really hard for, you know, a New York fan from, it doesn't matter what sport. I mean, now it's exciting. You've got the Knicks look good. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a Nets fan. I'm probably the only Nets fan that listens to this, or you know, it's a Jets fan. But the Nets obviously have superstars. The Jets and Giants, I think, should both be much better next year. I don't, um, I don't see a reason. I mean, I'm not sold on Daniel Jones, but I think the roster as a whole, I think they should be better. Like, it's just it's interesting to see. Like, hopefully, it's going to flip here where it's going to be a lot more interesting to cover instead of well, who are they drafting? Like, it's the after week one. I know. I mean, and then here's the here's the um, transaction that kind of sums it all up. When the Yankees re-signed uh, Brett Gardner, Brett Gardner is the last New York athlete to be connected to a, a championship. Oh my god! Yeah, I didn't even. Oof. Yeah, I'm not a huge so, Brett Gardner fan, so I, that that makes me even more upset. <laughs> I'm a Gardner fan. No, I mean, I like him. I just, I like, no, I'd rather somebody else get at bats, but. Yeah, but I mean, he, but that's how long it's been since we've had a, a championship team in New York. So. That's scary. I was, a, I was a freshman in high school and the Yankees won. I was the first year, because it was the first year of the new stadium and I went to like all the playoff games and I look back at it and I'm like, I should have valued this a little more because yeah. <laughs> we haven't been back in a long time and. I mean, obviously, Steve Cohen and stuff, hopefully, you know, get a couple a Subway series, maybe it would be nice, but like okay. the, the old days. I have a younger brother who took his son to a baseball game, and it was David Wells' no-hitter. So, you know, <laughs> first game, like, it's all downhill from there, right? <laughs> My first Jets game was 
90, you know, it's 2000. Vinny Testaverde's year where the game were against the Ravens, I think it's 2000, and they need to win to get in the playoffs. Yeah. And my dad drove me down first game. I'm like six years old in, you know, in Baltimore thinking that was a good idea. And that's probably the best defense or one of the best defenses ever. And threw, you know, four, four, uh, 400 yards, right? Yeah. Yeah. But like, yeah, then it's like they started throwing picks, and it's like I'm getting heckled by Ravens fans. Yeah. And I've been defensive ever since. Yeah, it was uh, it was unfortunate. Vinny Vinny was it was a game performance. And he was valiant in defeat. And yeah, uh, it was always out, out last he had a long game. career. Yeah, like a really long career, right? Didn't I? Didn't I mean I bet you he probably could still sling sling it around a little bit on the field. Absolutely, Vinny played. Vinny played in Dallas. Um, he, he could, he could throw it. Carolina at the end, maybe, or something for him and Kerry. I remember vividly, it was like Kerry Collins and Vinny Testaverde both at like the back. And it was like, how did this happen? Well, he's got like, you know, his deep pass is like Joe Flacco. Like Flacco will throw that deep pass in his sleep when he's 70. And same with Vinny. They just, you know, once you have that touch on that long pass and that, you know, that keeps you employed for a long time. Yeah, no, I'm sure you remember this. I, I was watching an interview with Keyshawn about the other day. I was watching about the 98 season just because it popped up. And Keyshawn was like, we would be going through warm-ups and it'd be cold. I think it was a Jacksonville game maybe. He's like, dude, can you not throw it so hard? You're breaking my fingers. Like He's like, relax, Vinny. <laughs> it's funny to look back at, I'm yeah. sure. Uh, no, but I, I appreciate you, obviously, you know, um, you know, taking some time. And hopefully we'll have, uh, you know, some more exciting things to talk about, obviously, as to, you know, once the Jets figure out who they're going to draft and, um, you know, hopefully leading up to some, you know, wins in the, in the early part of the season so fans don't get upset by uh, yeah. end of September. <laughs> hopefully, it's, hopefully it's better, Will, for you and um, a lot of fans. It's yeah. you, know, you pay your dues. I admire Jet fans for their – for their resiliency and stick to itiveness, it's it's not easy. You know, you, you you put all that time and energy into something, you go to those tailgates, you go to the stadium, and hopefully you go back to the stadium. And it's 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 tough when things don't work out. So hopefully they're on the right track with Robert Sala and Joe Douglas, and you know, kind of build this thing the right way. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll make sure to try to you know follow follow Bob on Twitter at Bob Glaber and then you know check his workout in Newsday and uh, you know well uh, thanks for having me on.